Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. So this man was driving through the country one day and he saw a sign on a fence post in front of an old farmhouse. It said, talking dog for sale. So he slowed down, made a U-turn, went back and knocked on the door. He said, I, I couldn't help but notice the this sign. What do, you, what do you mean a talking dog for sale? I've got to see this. And the, the old man said, yeah, he's out back on the porch. You can go look at him. So he went around the house and to the back porch and found the dog. And he kind of stood there for a moment, just looked around. He felt a little silly, but he, he said, so uh, y- you talk? And the dog said, yep. He said, whoa, this is crazy. He said, well, how did you, what did you, how did this happen? And the dog said, yeah, found out a few years ago I could talk, let that secret out, and everybody from miles away wanted to come and, and talk to me and use me. Well, eventually the CIA hired me as a, well, as an operative. And I, I've been in some of the most powerful rooms around the world, and I've been sitting at the feet of the most powerful people as a spy, because who would ever guess that a dog could understand, much less report back what he has heard. So I was a pretty successful spy for some time. Well, what happened after that? He said, after that career, well, I wanted to slow down a bit. I came home, lived stateside, began to work in airports around the country, you know, sniffing out wrongdoing, but I could overhear malicious plans and I would report them. Made quite a name for myself. The man said, you just got to stop right there. I'll, I'll be right back. He went around to the front of the house, knocked on the door again. The man came out and he said, this is incredible. I mean, how could you possibly want to sell a dog like this? How much do you want for him? The man said, eh, 10 bucks. 10 bucks? Are you crazy? $10 for a dog like that? Why would you sell a dog for so cheap? And the man said, because he's a liar. He hasn't done half of those things. (laughs) Sometimes we tend to miss the point, don't we? I mean, it's that way in so many areas of our spiritual walk. So so here we are in the middle of this brand new series called Habits, where I'm talking about spiritual disciplines or daily practices, holy habits that we can put into place every day to help us stay connected to the presence and the love and the, the power of of Christ in our lives. And today, the discipline that I want to talk about, specifically the holy habit that we'll be focused on today, is the habit of prayer, the spiritual discipline of prayer. But at times, I wonder if at times we, when it comes to prayer, if, if we miss the point altogether. See, I know, I know some people in my life who have an incredible prayer life, or at least so it seems, right? I mean, deep, 
deep waters and a, a vibrant, growing prayer life every day, rhythms of prayer, practices of prayer, and it's great. But I, I know more people who, whose prayer life is, is a life of frustration, a, a prayer life of frustration and, and questions and, and um, unanswered questions and unresolved tensions, and they get frustrated with prayer because I wonder if at times when we are frustrated with our prayer life over requests that have not been answered or prayers that we think have not been heard, I wonder if we've missed the point. So in this amazing book called Prayer by Richard Foster, he talks about the experience of frustration in prayer. And as we begin this part of our study, I wonder if these words describe any season in which you have found yourself in the season of prayer. He said, have you ever tried to pray and felt nothing? Saw nothing? Sensed nothing? Has it ever seemed like your prayers did no more than bounce off the ceiling and ricochet around an empty room? Have there been times when you, you desperately needed some word of assurance, some demonstration of divine presence, and you got nothing? Sometimes it just seems like God is hidden from us. We do everything we know. We, we pray, we serve, we worship, we live as faithfully as we can, and still there's nothing, just nothing it feels like we are beating on heaven's door with bruised knuckles in the dark. Do you know what that feels like? To have prayed and prayed and poured out your heart and it feel as if your words did nothing more than ricochet off the roof, bounce back off the ceiling, ricochet around the room. Well, if you do, I get it. I mean, I personally get it. You're not alone. You've got some company. But I often wonder if sometimes we remain frustrated in prayer because we miss the point. I mean, is prayer simply this, you know, propositional exchange in which we, we approach God and, and if we use the right words and, and we use them in the right way and we get other people to join us in using the right words and saying them in the right way for long enough, and well, then maybe, maybe God then will grant us what we think we want or need. I mean, is, is, that, is that what prayer is? Because if it is, then what, what does that say about the nature of a God who will only do what is good or what is right if we somehow, what, crack the code, perform the song and dance? The thing is, I, I believe prayer is more than that. I mean, we could do this study in prayer, and we could take weeks to talk about it. We could talk about all kinds of prayer practices. And if I wanted to, I could talk to you about different 
techniques in prayer, different styles of prayer. We could talk about unceasing prayer and centering prayer and breath prayers. We could talk about the prayer of the forsaken or the covenant prayer. You could talk all day long about prayers of relinquishment and prayers of commitment. There are all kinds of prayers and we could talk about them all day long and we could get really specific about how to change the technique or the time of day or the rhythm at which you pray. But the trouble is, Prayer already to so many feels like such a burden or such a mountain of an obstacle to get around that it, that it frustrates them so that they just stop and they never try to pray. Because maybe, maybe the point of praying is not, not to get the words right. Maybe the point of praying is not somehow found in the right structure or the right form or the right posture. Do I stand up, sit down, kneel, lift my hands, fold my hands? Do I close my eyes or leave them open? Maybe we've missed the point entirely. What if you've already been praying and you didn't know it? Sometimes you got to start with the basics, don't you? you got to go back to the very basics about what it means to pray. And to do that, I just want to humbly offer a kind of definition that I want to use as a framing of this conversation that we're having right here. A definition that, that comes from me just simply based on my understanding of sacred scripture and my experiences in walking with Jesus for some time now. And this is what I think prayer, at the very heart of it, is all about. Prayer is becoming more fully present with the one who is fully present with you. Prayer is becoming more fully present with the one who is fully present with you. And sometimes that requires some words, yeah? but sometimes that requires complete silence. Sometimes to become fully present with the one who is fully present with you, it requires doing something. And sometimes it requires doing nothing at all. Yeah. In, in, in order for you and me to draw closely to the one who is already close to us, present with us fully, it, it means that we have to wake up to some reality here. Do you believe? that God is in and around us at all times. This is at the heart of what it means to pray. Because the very same uh, energy or this divine flow of God's energy that created the very universe in which you and I live and breathe and have our existence, that same flow of divine energy is flowing to you and through you even right now in the presence of the Christ who wants to be found by you. And part of the heart of prayer is in waking up to that truth. Prayer is becoming more fully present to the one who is fully present with you. And, and sometimes that, that means that we can use words of anguish and frustration and anger over the way things are. And sometimes we give voice to celebration, things that make us filled with delight and joy and satisfaction. And all those words can be words of prayer. But when you show up fully 
to the place where God is fully present and you're aware of it. It's a prayer. Do you know someone who is suffering from a deadly disease? When you think about that person, what do you think? When you think about her, what thoughts go through your mind? Do you grimace over the way things are? Are you a little bit angry over why it happened to someone who had done everything right, had, had lived the life of health and, and, and physical exercise and, and strength, and yet still her body now is racked with pain? Do you feel a sense of anguish over that? Yeah. Do you hope for her? When you see her face in your mind, is there a hope that wells up within you? Because when you do, you are praying. Romans 8 tells us we do not know how to pray as we ought. So the Spirit who is within us prays for us with groans, utterances too deep for words. Maybe you're praying and you don't even know it. When you go to a wedding, and you see the bride and the groom standing up and making promises to each other, and they are young, and their life is way ahead of them, and you reach over and you grab the hand of your beloved with whom you have shared decades already. And when you feel a kind of gladness in that moment, when, when you feel a kind of delight for the couple who are coming together, is your heart filled with some gratitude? Do you marvel with humility over the years that have passed and how you have arrived at where you are with the one with whom you are doing life? Do you go to the reception and when you make your toast to the bride and the groom, is your heart swelling with giddiness for them and their future? That's because you are fully present in a moment of mystery and grace and you are not alone. The one who is fully present to us is there as well, grinning, dancing, toasting alongside you, and in the solidarity of your spirit with the Trinity itself, the divine energy of God's love moving in and through the world, you are praying and not even knowing it. See, when we become fully present with the one who is fully present with us, it's prayer. And when you see an injustice and you rage against it, when you see an oppression or some kind of suffering and you do something about it and generously you give toward meeting a need that someone can't meet on their own, there's an action coming up out of you that is in solidarity with the action of the Spirit of God. And it's called prayer. Who cares if you don't know the right words to use? You are participating with God in the ongoing creation and redemption of the world. And that's prayer. If we change the way we consider prayer from simply being a construction of words to a way that we exist in the world, I tend to believe we'd be less frustrated with our prayer life and more amazed at how there is never not a moment when prayer is a possibility. So Michael Quast had these words to say about prayer. He said, 
if we could learn how to listen to our lives, all of life would become a prayer. If we learned how to listen to to the argument in the next room and recognize that there may be something of the Spirit that is in you wanting to help reconcile that argument, all of this energy could become a prayer. We would recognize that there is no part of our mundane, routine life that is not teeming with the presence of God. There is no secular that all things are sacred, the whole universe is a temple. If we can see life that way and hear our lives as invitations to participate with God, then all of life would be a prayer. In the 17th century, there was a a mystic, a monk by the name of Brother Lawrence. And Brother Lawrence was known as this, uh, well, this monk who was able to to see no separation between his secular life and his sacred life. There's no in church and out of church. There's no prayer time and non-prayer time. For him, it all merged. There was a blurring, a blending of that which is holy and that which is mundane. They called him the patron saint of pots and pans because as he worked in the kitchen, he exercised prayer. And this is what he had to say about prayer. Brother Lawrence said, the time of business does not, with me, differ from the time of prayer. And in the noise and clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess God in a great and as great a tranquility as if I were upon my knees before the blessed sacrament. I mean, you come to a place where you can say something like that when you learn to listen to all of life as an invitation from God to abide with God, to commune with God, to become fully present with the one who already is fully present with you. And this is what Jesus did. Jesus modeled for us what it meant to live a lifestyle of prayer, not simply to construct words that make us either feel confident or non-confident about prayer, but to structure a life that was a lifestyle of prayer. So one day in the Gospel of Luke, one of his disciples came up to him, and Jesus had been spending some time alone, like we talked about last week, in the solitude of prayer. And a disciple came up to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. As John has taught his disciples, teach us to pray, which reveals a kind of assumption, maybe in the mind of Jesus. The assumption is up till that point, they hadn't really constructed formal language around prayer. They had not somehow constructed a way to articulate prayer verbally, maybe because Jesus understood that true prayer is about being fully present here and now with the one who is fully present here and now that being in prayer means bringing healing to those who suffer and and bringing welcome to those who are outcast so Jesus in demonstrating what life is intended to to look like to his disciples had already been modeling a prayer lifestyle but they say teach us how to pray and he does he gives them some words and so we know there are different 
versions of the Lord's Prayer, right? We know that Luke treats it one way, Matthew a different way, and there's some traditions that add words and take away words. But traditionally, when we think of the Lord's Prayer, what the Lord said when his disciples said, teach us to pray, we think of these words, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from, from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. But typically, 99% of the time, you and I see that Lord's Prayer as a construction of words, a way to somehow verbalize a prayer, but we miss the point altogether. Look at what Jesus is doing in that model prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It reveals the, the, the assumption of Jesus that there is no separation between heaven and earth. There is no secular and sacred. The whole thing is sacred. And that the kingdom which is in heaven is already emerging right here before our eyes. And if we have the eyes to see it and the ears to hear it, Jesus continually repeated, that we will be closer to the kingdom than we possibly could imagine. And that's prayer. To wake up to the reality that the kingdom that is coming has already come and is here. Give us this day our daily bread, right? is more than just a prayer for a meal. Daily bread means all of the mundane, regular things that are required for doing the human journey. It reveals the assumption in Jesus' mind that the divine is already present in every mundane activity that we think is void of God is teeming with divine presence. Everything from what we do in worship and church and praying and Bible study renewing our tags and signing up the kids for spring ball or, or paying our taxes. But there is no place where we can go where the divine presence of God is not wanting us to draw near. Yeah. When we become more fully present with the one who is already fully present with us, we are praying. Sometimes we just don't know it. So, so what do you do, though, if, if you pray and nothing that you're praying about seems to change? Because it sounds great, Sean. It sounds it's kind of nice kind of to build a foundation and understanding of prayer in that way, that it's, it's not about the words we speak. It's not about fancy words or articulate, verbose expressions of prayer but it's about your presence it's about showing up for your own life it's about not mailing in your life but being present with the one who has given you life that that is the base foundation of prayer to be more fully present with the one who is already fully present with you sounds great sean but what happens if what i pray about never changes because see, what I'm saying here is that prayer can be lived. And sometimes you can use words and sometimes you don't use words. Sometimes they are words of celebration and goodness and delight and joy. And sometimes they're words of anger and anguish 
rage and confusion and doubt, and we shake our fists at the heavens, and all of it, every single bit of it, is welcomed by God because it means that whether we are mm, hurt or hope-filled, whether we are glad or mad, whether we are celebrating or anguishing, what we're doing is bringing our full, authentic, transparent self to the one who knows us best and loves us most every single moment of our lives. But what do you do if the thing that you articulate never changes? What happens if the tumor doesn't shrink? What happens if the divorce papers still get filed and still get served and that's all you've been praying about for months? What do you do after you spend all the time and all the money on the best rehab program in the country and the nephew relapses again? I think that what many of us carry around in our hearts for good portions of our lives is, is a, a fear that prayer doesn't even matter in the end. I mean, why pray if it doesn't change anything? And if that's where you are right now, I want to say what I'm about to say with the most, uh, with the most respect that I can express to you in where you are in your journey. But what I have learned from my own experience is that whether the thing has changed that I brought before God to change, whether the thing has come to pass that I wanted to come to pass, or whether the thing has ceased that I wanted to cease, one way or another, every prayer changes things. Because prayer changes me. Yeah. So there is something that changes whenever we are in the company of God. And that something is us. In 2 Corinthians, there's this gorgeous passage in the third chapter where it describes any who turn to Christ. When we turn to Christ, there is this this veil, this mask, this separation that is removed from our face, from the thing that hides us from God. And we see Christ face to face. Anytime we choose to draw near or become more fully present with the one who is fully present with us in solitude or, or in, in great numbers of people all around us, if we turn to Christ, there is a separation that is removed and we look upon him and he looks upon us and there is what some mystics have called the divine gaze where God gazes at you and you gaze at God and in that interaction, in that prayer where you are fully present and God is fully present, you're changed and everything that is unchristly falls away. And all that remains is his own image in you. And you bring everything that you, that you carry as a burden before him. 
And yet, in the company of him, even if the burden doesn't change for reasons beyond our own knowing, something changes in us. Do you know this? This is, this is how I want you to think about prayer. Think about it this way. In prayer, we bring God what we think we want. But in the company of the one who wants our very best, our wants are transformed into God's wants. Can I just read that one more time? In, in prayer, we bring God what we think we want, unabashedly, with no shame to it at all. We bring to God what we think we want, but in the company of the one who wants our very best, our wants are transformed into God's wants. This is what happened with Jesus. On the very night before he was crucified, Jesus, in his own prayer to the Father, expressed what he wanted. He puts it this way. He says, Abba, Father, for you all things are possible. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I want, but what you want. I don't know that there could be a more power-drenched verse in all of Scripture than the 36th verse of Mark chapter 14. For in one breath, Jesus brings the kind of prayer that you and I typically bring to God. I don't want this. Change this. It's in your power, God, to do something about this. Change it. And in the next breath, Nevertheless, it's not what I want. It's what you want that I want. When we draw near to the one who is drawn near to us, when we become fully present to the one who is already fully present with us, we become awake to the desires of God and not only the desires of us, and the more time we spend in solitude with the one who made us and knows us and loves us, the change that comes may not be the, the prayer request that brought us in the door. The change that comes is in what we learn to want in the process. Because God, I want to want what you want for me. Have you come to a place where you're able to pray that prayer? I want what you want for me. Because if you do, you realize with full conviction why it is that I say with full conviction that prayer changes things. C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis was watching in agony as his, the love of his life was dying. She had a terminal illness and she could not be made well. But every day, he would stop at the chapel at Oxford and pray. His colleagues would see him doing this every day and would ask him, why are you doing this? I mean, you, you know that it's not going to change things. She is going to die. Why do you do this when you know it won't change things? And 
C.S. Lewis said, I, I, I don't pray because I think it'll change this thing. I pray because it's changing me. Authentic prayer is drawing close to the one who's drawn close to us. It's becoming more fully present with the one who is fully present with us. And when we are, when we wake up to the never-ending possibility that God is always in and around us, calling us forth, desiring our company, when we wake up to that, we cannot not be changed. Yeah. That's why, yeah, sometimes we miss the point of prayer because maybe the point of prayer is transformation, change, not out there, but in here. So that in every moment shared, with Christ. What we want is transformed into what He wants for us. So, when our boys were young, there was a book that I would read and Laura would read to Nathan and Jackson um, again and again and again. Because it it conveyed a message that we wanted embedded within the recording of their, their minds and their hearts when it comes to their relationship with God. And the truth of this book has never failed. And I want to read this to you because I think this may be the simplest, uh, uncomplicated, unvarnished invitation to real prayer that many of us have ever heard. It's called, You Are Special, by Max Lucado. And at this point, I want to encourage you parents, if you have children in the house, and maybe they haven't typically been watching worship, maybe they've been doing their activities that we send them each week, I want to encourage you, at this point, you may want to pause the service and ask them to come and join you for a message that we want them to know about the God who wants to know them. You Are Special by Max Lucado. The Wimmicks were small wooden people. All of the wooden people were carved by a woodworker named Eli. His workshop sat on a hill overlooking their village. Each Wemmick was different. Some had big noses, others had large eyes. Some were tall and others were short. Some wore hats, others wore coats. But all were made by the same carver and all lived in the village. And all day, every day, the Wemmicks did the same thing. They gave each other stickers. Each Wemmick had a box of golden star stickers and a box of gray dot stickers. Up and down the streets all over the city, people spent their days sticking stars or dots on one another. The pretty ones, those with smooth wood and fine paint, always got stars. But if the wood was rough or the paint was chipped, 
The Wemmicks gave dots. The talented ones got stars too. Some could lift big sticks high above their heads or jump over tall boxes. Still others knew big words and could sing pretty songs. Everyone gave them stars. Some Wemmicks had stars all over them. Every time they got a star, it made them feel so good. It made them want to do something else and get another star. Others, though, could do little. They got dots. Punchinello was one of these. He tried to jump high like the others, but always fell. And when he fell, the others would gather around and give him dots. Sometimes when he fell, his wood got scratched, so the people would give him more dots. Then, when he would try to explain why he fell, he would say something silly, and the Wemmicks would give him more dots. After a while, he had so many dots that he didn't want to go outside. He was afraid he would do something dumb and, and forget his hat or step in the water, and, and then people would give him another dot. In fact, he had so many gray dots that some people would come up and give him one for no reason at all. He deserves lots of dots, the wooden people would agree with one another. He's not a very good wooden person. After a while, Punchinello believed them. I'm not a good Wemmick, he would say. The few times he went outside, he hung around the other Wemmicks who had lots of dots too. He felt better around them. One day, he met a Wemmick who was unlike any he'd ever met. She had no dots or stars. She was wooden. Her name was Lucia. It wasn't that people didn't try to give her stickers. It's just that the stickers didn't stick. Some of the Wemmicks admired Lucia for having no dots, so they would run up and give her a star, but it would fall off. Others would look down on her for having no stars, so they would give her a dot. But it wouldn't stay either. That's the way I want to be, thought Punchinello. I don't want anyone's marks. So he, he asked the stickerless Wemmick how she did it. It's easy. Lucia required or replied, Every day I go to see Eli. Eli? Yes, Eli, the woodcarver. I sit in the woodshop with him. Why? Why don't you go and find out for yourself? Go up the hill. He's there. And with that, the Wemmick, who had no stickers, turned and skipped away. But will he want to see me? Punchinello cried out. Lucia didn't hear, so Punchinello went home. He sat near a window and watched the wooden people as they scurried around giving each other stars and dots. It's not right, he muttered to himself, and he decided to go see Eli. 
He walked up the narrow path to the top of the hill and stepped into the big shop. His wooden eyes widened at the size of everything. The stool was as tall as he was. He had to stretch on his tiptoes to see the top of the workbench. A hammer was as long as his arm. Punchinello swallowed hard. I'm not staying here. He turned to leave. Then he heard his name. Punchinello. The voice was deep and strong. Punchinello stopped. Punchinello, how good to see you. Come and let me have a look at you. Punchinello turned slowly and looked at the large bearded craftsman. You know my name? The little Wemmick asked. Of course I do. I made you. Eli stooped and picked him up and set him on the bench. Hmm. The maker spoke thoughtfully and, and he looked at all the gray dots. Looks like you've been given some bad marks. I, I didn't. I didn't mean to, Eli. I, I really tried. Oh, you don't have to defend yourself to me, child. I don't care what the other Wemmicks think. You don't? No. And you? You shouldn't either. Who are they to give stars or dots? They're Wemmicks just like you. What they think doesn't matter, Punchinello. All that matters is what I think. And I think you are pretty special. Punchinello laughed. <laughs> Me? Special? Why? I can't walk fast. I can't jump. My paint is peeling. Why do I matter to you? Eli looked at Punchinello, put his hands on those small wooden shoulders and spoke very softly. Because you're mine. That's why you matter to me. Punchinello had never had anyone look at him like this, much less his maker. He didn't know what to say. Every day, I've hoped that you would come, Eli explained. I, I came because I met someone who had no marks, said Punchinello. I know. She told me about you. Why don't the stickers stay on her? The maker spoke softly. Because she has decided that what I think is more important than anything else. The stickers only stick if you let them. What? The stickers only stick if they matter to you. The more you trust my love, the less you care about the stickers. I'm not sure I understand. Eli smiled. You will. But it will take some time. You've got lots of marks. For now, just come to see me every day and let me remind you how much I care. 
Eli lifted Punchinello off the bench and set him on the ground. Remember, Eli said to the Wemmick, who walked out the door, you are special because I made you, and I don't make mistakes. Punchinello didn't stop, but his heart, in his heart, he thought, I, I think he really means it. And when he did, a dot fell to the ground. Beloved, when we pray, all we are doing is drawing close to the one who has drawn close to us. We're becoming fully present to the one who has been, is, and always will be fully present with us. And that means we can bring him all of our dots and all of our stars, and we can use all kinds of language, and it won't be wrong. We can be angry, and we can be afraid. We can celebrate, and we can hope. And no matter what the star or the dot is that burdens our lives, when we spend time in prayer each day with our Maker. We are transformed. Now maybe you're hearing this message today and, and you want the kind of transformation that I'm talking about. Where you live free and there's a lightness of being because you recognize that you're never not with Him that you're never too far away to call upon him. Maybe you desire that kind of intimacy with the one who knows you best and loves you most, but you don't know how to start. Start here and simply say, God, I am yours. I don't know the right words to speak. I don't know the right way to go, but I sense that there is something deep in you calling something deep in me, so I humble myself. And I ask you to forgive me of all the ways that I have blown it, all the ways that I have sinned against you or against my neighbor, because I sense there is something in you that can change me. And I want to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. My friend, if you prayed that prayer or if you began to pray that prayer and, and you, you want company in the journey. We want to walk alongside you. We want to walk alongside you and be in conversation with you as you take your new and next step in following Jesus. So I'm going to ask you to email us. Tell somebody about the prayer that you just prayed, but email us. Let us know. And we'll come alongside you and walk with you as we follow him, drawing close to the one who has drawn close to us. But for now, wherever you go from this moment, know that you cannot go in any direction and be outside the realm of God's love. Know that no matter where you go, if you are fully present and awake to the presence of the one who has always been present with us, you are in prayer even as we speak. So may Christ go before you to prepare your way. May Christ go behind you on the days that you fear and feel like retreating to encourage you one step further at a time. 
May Christ go to your right and Christ to your left, abiding closer than even a sister or a brother. May Christ go above you. On the days when dark clouds roll in to remind you there is one above the clouds who at the end of the day has the final word. May Christ go beneath you, girding you with confidence and removing all forms of fear. But mostly, may Christ go in you, transforming you from the inside out until your heart beats in rhythm with his.